0: This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What was it now? Just a few days ago, former President Barack Obama was mocking Republicans. Oh, critical race theory, as if that's the biggest issue in America right now. Well, there are other big issues, and no one's saying that CRT is the biggest, but it is something. That people are waking up to now as it has infiltrated so many institutions, the academy, high schools, colleges, corporations. And this is one of the left's means of establishing cultural and therefore political control. And finally, people are hitting back against this idea. They're saying enough is enough. And no surprise, the left is upset about that. We'll get to this in a second. Also ransomware these days as you know is a huge problem and there's just a story today in the Daily Mail about a massive hack of Amazon Gmail accounts all kinds of your most sensitive information do you want to just trust this stuff to big tech corporations that aren't liable to you if they lose your data there's a problem it's it's too bad you need to start taking action now yourself to protect your most sensitive information. That's why you need Secure, all right? S-E-K-U-R. It's the 100% privacy and security-focused instant messaging and email platform located in Switzerland. That's the country where the world's strictest data privacy laws are applied. Secure, S-E-K-U-R, is held by privacy advocates globally in the assurance that their data is kept truly safe by proprietary technology independent platform and military grade encryption methods your data is yours alone secure does not data mine use or sell your data experience the bliss of knowing that your privacy is not in jeopardy from the prying hands of big tech and that you have a greater degree of security than people who are getting their stuff hacked these days go with secure s-e-k-u-r.com Use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure to use that coupon code BUCK when you go to Secure, S-E-K-U-R dot com. Regain your privacy. Protect yourself online. What is the purpose of critical race theory? Why is it making such a comeback right now? You can go to the the early days of political correctness, the nineteen. 80s, the 1990s, and there was critical race theory then. But why is it ascendant at this moment? Well, as you know, our country has an increasingly brazen Marxist faction in the Democrat Party, and what they've decided is that class warfare in a country that is as as wealthy as ours is not necessarily going to be that effective. I mean, they're still doing it. Don't get me wrong. That's what the leak. Of the tax records recently of some of the richest Americans was all about to to create that class warfare feeling among people so Democrats can address it. So multimillionaire Democrats can pretend they're going to make your life better by taxing people who are still trying to build wealth more and pretend that they're actually taxing billionaires, which is not going to happen. They won't do that. Democrats love billionaires. They're funded by billionaires. They control the. Institutions, places like Amazon and Google and and you know, major corporations, Democrats have no problem with extreme wealth. They have problem with extreme wealth that they do not control. But a way to get even deeper into American society and a way to divide us more effectively is critical race theory, racial Marxism, right, that we are a society where there are benefits, there are benefits, not in, not as a function of law. Although the only racial benefits in law go to certain, not all, certain non-white minorities, as you know, through affirmative action. Uh, but there's no actual codified white privilege as, as a matter of law. But they'll they'll still say that we live in a society due to intersectionality. The belief that we are all in a in a hierarchy of oppression not just along racial but also ethnic religious gender lots of different categorizations and we're all dealing with either being oppressors or being oppressed this is a great way to control people isn't it and this is also undermining some of the very core beliefs of the american system which is the rights of the individual that we are all treated equally in the eyes of the law no, they're even replacing equality with equity. You, you would have thought that equality, this is America, right? All men are created equal. This is supposed to be one of our, our most important beliefs, our most important maxims. And now it's really, well, all men are created. Well, first of all, it's not all just men. It's all men, women, and whatever else somebody identifies as are created equitable or with equity or whatever, have to end up with equity. That's, I guess, the way you'd have to put it, have to end up in a place of equity. They're replacing equality as a concept in that way. And I have to tell you, this is very troubling. Uh, This is very troubling. This is something that will, if it's allowed to continue on, pull this country further apart. And, I mean, ultimately, a nation... Is, is about philosophy, is about psychological bonds with your, your fellow members of that of that entity. You know, it's a concept. Right? I mean, there's there's not something that is America that's a a piece of property. Yes, we have borders, or at least we're supposed to, uh, but we form this. This is this is based on belief. And when they start to chip away at some of the foundational beliefs of what this country is and what it's all about, then they're in a position to one, of course, have a lot more power. The left can remake society in its image, and they also are in, in a place where they can always go on offense against their political opponents. You're starting to see what I call a counter revolution. This was if you were in the in the Soviet era. To be a counter revolutionary was the worst. That was the worst epithet. It was like being it was like being called a traitor. What do you mean you're standing against the revolution? The entire rationale for the existence of the Soviet state was the revolution. Um, and, and so when once you see what this really means for us now, once you understand, uh why this is such an important concept, I want to encourage as many people as possible in this country to view themselves as counter-revolutionaries against the left, right? We want to be counter-revolutionaries. They're the ones that are saying, the left claims they want to transform this country. I want to preserve, and where possible, perfect, but I just want to preserve America because this is a unique an amazing place for all of its flaws, for all of its historical shortcomings and present ones. They want a fundamental transformation, to borrow from Barack Obama, which is now continued by Joe Biden, a fundamental transformation of American society. I say we stop them and do everything we can within the system we have to stop them. Critical race theory is just one of the primary tools they are using now in their leftist cultural revolution right so there's the cultural revolution which we talked a little about yesterday and the the maoist approach in america of the struggle sessions oh my gosh we all have to talk about racism so much oh we have all these all these economically privileged white liberals who just want to walk around crying about how they're so worried about racism but they don't actually do anything doesn't actually change anything in their lives but they just want to make a big show of how much they care about racism as you know um, but we're starting to see now that the left is finding the outer limits of what it can get away with it w- w- get away with without americans saying hold on a second that's actually not okay or this, this is getting beyond just electoral back and forth politics and and the Warring propaganda machines of news media. This this is something more core and fundamental. Here is the Secretary of Defense. Yes, he's uh, African-American, Lloyd Austin. Here is the Secretary of Defense speaking about critical race theory. Play 20.
1: The military has included the works of critical race theories on its reading list by authors like Abraham Henry Rogers, who now calls himself Abraham Kendi, and Robin DiAngelo. Mr. Kendi has written... Quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination, end quote. Do you agree with that proposition? Uh, I've not read that, and I, I don't, you know, I certainly don't agree with what you just said, but I, okay, you know... Ms, Mr. Secretary... It, it's always important yeah, my, to have the con- full context of anything that's uh, that you're being asked to evaluate. Mr. Secretary, do you believe that race and sex should be the key factor when selecting combat leaders rather than, say, operational excellence, technical proficiency, leadership, agility, and integrity? I I do not, uh, Senator. I I think what you just said should be key components in making any any selection.
0: Okay, so that's a start, right? This is good. The Secretary of Defense is saying that being the best at the job should be the most important thing in the military. I mean, we're starting there. Let's go back to professions where we all know lives are at stake where we all understand what the risks are of being less than the most effective we could possibly be, either as a, as a group, in the case of the military, or as individuals. And the Secretary of Defense is saying, okay, it is true. The most important things out there are being good at the job. You could say meritocracy is still something that we have to consider. Meritocracy is still very real and that's good how much do considerations of diversity and inclusion though still affect our military well that's what we have to continue to look at we have to continue to have that discussion here is so that's just the, that's the secretary of defense uh general or former general Lord lloyd austin and he's he's at least admitting that the best the best people in the military at the job should get the jobs, irrespective of race, gender, or anything else. way, well, that's going to mean that it's going to be really hard for women to qualify for certain uh, infantry and, and forward deployed combat roles based on the physical requirements necessary. There'll be very, very, very few. And we should not lower standards. And and what the left will do is they'll play games, say, oh, we're not lowering standards. Why are you so sexist? and then no women will pass the standards or maybe you know one in a thousand will pass the standards to be you know a navy seal or to be a an operator with delta or whatever it may be and then they'll say okay well don't be a sexist we got to change the standards a little bit because this is what equality means no we have to hold the line here is a mom a a, a black mother in florida so this is now not some big uh important Member of the administration. This is just an everyday mom in Florida. Right. This is not some cabinet official. but She's saying this is her view of critical race theory. And she's an African-American woman. Play 19.
1: Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. That is not teaching the truth unless you believe that whites are better than blacks. I have personally heard teachers teaching CRT, and we have had an assembly shut down because Duval County Public School System consultant thought it would be a great idea to separate students by race. This is unacceptable. CRT is not racial sensitivity or simply teaching unfavorable American history or teaching Jim Crow history. CRT is deeper and more dangerous than that. CRT, and its outworking today, is a teaching that there is a hierarchy in society where white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied people are deemed the oppressor, and anyone else outside of that uh, status is oppressed. That's why we see corporations like Coca-Cola asking their employees to be less white, which is ridiculous. I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed stat, uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children or any child is racist as well.
0: She's speaking so much truth. And you get the sense when you hear a, a, this is a, a black mom down in Florida um, speaking with this kind of passion and clarity on the issue. The counter-revolution is underway, friends. Now it's just a question of whether our side, the side of truth, the side of a society that believes that a person's skin color does not matter about their, their, their character, about their intelligence, their ability, anything else, the side that believes that race is superficial and irrelevant to our judgments, our thoughts, our beliefs about our fellow human beings, are we going to win This debate in America today, that's what remains to be seen. What about actual solutions to problems of inequality of opportunity? What about making sure that everyone does get a chance? Not equity. That's the same ends. That's the same result. That's the end of meritocracy, the destruction of meritocracy. But what about actually making sure that everybody can get a really good education? Where are the Democrats on that? Well, as you know, They want to force children and a lot of the children who are forced to go to subpar uh, schools are minorities. A lot of them are not, but there are a lot of children who are are forced into these failing public schools. And Democrats will not let them get out. They will not give them options. They say, no, we need to have you in the schools because you are The customer, you don't have a choice in the product, but you got to keep buying the product. Here's a parent in Minnesota, African-American woman. Here she she is in, in Minnesota, and she's speaking about the school choice issue, which conservatives should be all over. The right Republicans should be talking about this much more than we have. Democrats are still trying to force kids into failing schools. It's unfair. It's wrong. But we all know we saw this with the school uh, closures because of COVID. The teachers unions are very, very powerful. Here's what this Minnesota parent says about the school choice fight in Minnesota
2: of color and he said it's time to get out of our comfort zones we have to consider change a moral imperative well I hope governor walls that you consider this change a moral imperative that will make a difference in the lives of people of color I hope you get out of your comfort zone and don't just vote party lines and really think about what would make a difference and that you walk your talk I don't know how anyone that says they care about people of color can just leave them in these failing schools when they know the schools are failing them they know that a bad education is a direct pipeline to a life of dependence and crime and they know they have a chance to vote on education savings accounts that will give the very people that they say they care most about a chance to get out of these schools how can they just say no how can they just say no you have to be trapped you have to stay in these schools even though 70 percent of you can't read and then go with your lawn signs and your t-shirts chanting black lives matter it's
0: Ah, this black parent, this uh, mother in Minnesota is going right after the heart of some of the Democrat moral preening and fraudulence here. Oh, don't do things. that will actually help people in high crime, low income neighborhoods. Don't actually improve school options for minority students, for all students, but for minority students as well, and give them a better shot at a more prosperous future. No, keep them in those failing schools. Make sure those tax dollars keep flowing to the teachers' unions. That's the most important thing. But as long as Democrats can put BLM flags up, as long as Democrats can make claims about how much they support Black Lives Matter, they get the real benefit that they want, which is to make it seem like The Democrats who hold those views are good people. They don't have to do anything. They're not helping anybody. And they don't really care. But the virtue signaling is so seductive. Well, this parents had enough of it
2: absolute hypocrisy every kid every kid no matter their race or income deserves a right to a good education enough with the platitudes about black lives it's time to do something tangible that will make a difference in their lives governor walls and democrats i'm asking that you include education saving accounts in your final education budget thank you and now i'm My name is Kofi, K-O-F-I, Monska, M-O-N-T-Z-K-A. And now I'm going to introduce Benito, our next speaker.
0: Passionate about the subject matter. That woman really cares about what's happening for kids in Minnesota. They want school choice. They want savings accounts. They want options for parents to go to better schools. It does matter. We all know that the school actually matters. You know, is it, is it a good a high performing school? Does it have teachers who are really invested in the students? Does it have a student body, generally speaking, that is there to learn and doesn't view this as a glorified babysitting program? These things matter. But you'll notice that the, the things that Democrats talk about, they're not discussing ways to make the system better for everybody at, at you know, from the top down level in education. No, what they want is just to have some little quick fixes, you know. perhaps an expansion of, of affirmative action at the end. you know. Push a few more people into Harvard who probably wouldn't have gotten in were it not for affirmative action. That's how the left views things. And then they tell everybody else who has a problem with the public school system, be quiet. Two
2: years ago, I was told policy 1040 was just an umbrella philosophy and you weren't going to allow boys into the girls' locker rooms. But here you are doing just that. Everyone knows what a boy is, even you. Your proposed policies are dangerous and rooted in sexism. When woke kids asked me if I was a lesbian or a trans boy because I cut my hair short, it should tell you these modern identities are superficial. My guidance counselor's response to my concerns about bathroom privacy and safety was, well, there are stalls in the bathrooms. Now boys are reading erotica in the classrooms next to girls and you want to give them access to girls' locker rooms and you want to force girls to call those boys she. You do this in the name of inclusivity while ignoring the girls who will pay the price. Your policies choose boys' wants over girls' needs.
0: A Loudoun County 8th grade girl there who's letting the school board know that she can understand some very basic and observable truths even if they can't. But really, the other point that I think she makes here that's so critical and you see so much of this is how rapidly the left has accelerated the plans to transform our society in recent years. They make promises. Oh, we'll never do that. We'll never do that thing that you think we're going to do. That's not what this is about. And then they just they, they push a little bit more. The incrementalism gets a little bit further. And sure enough, after that, it turns into, well, yes, we're in charge now. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, we are actually going to make sure that transgender boys in schools use female bathrooms. If you want to know how devoted to this idea they are, I mean, of course, Obama with his recent gaslighting about CRT, oh, you know, Republicans care so much about CRT. Uh, there are. Uh, There was a time when Obama, when he was president, threatened to cut off Department of Education funding to uh, to a state that had uh, a problem with the so-called bathroom bill. He was going to cut off federal funds for education to any place that did not go along with the Department of Education federal top down guidance. And that just gives you a sense of how much it matters to them, how important it is to them. All right. This is not a minor issue. This is not something that just is is in the background. No, they they want to erase gender distinctions. And they, you see this all the time. They want gender neutral clothing for toddlers now. And they have the you know, they wanted to get rid of gender reveal parties. Which, well, I don't even understand why people do that. But that's not the point. Uh, there are all these efforts to go at gender and the family and. Structural's of tradition uh, structures rather of traditional human life stretching back for a very long time Right male and female gender. No, that's not a thing. We are all really just vessels for state policy We are all really ju- we, we exist So that the state can be empowered to create a utopian society a perfectly just society and by justice they mean Everyone is the same. But that's not possible. We will never all be the same. It doesn't matter what the state says. It doesn't matter if the state got us all to agree and to believe that we are all the same. There will be men and women. There will be short and tall. There will be skinny and had a few too many cookies over the course of the pandemic, but no judgments here because I'm one of them. Right. Like that's. That's the reality of human existence. And so I I sit here and I see what they're trying to do. And I've seen in other societies in living memory or recent memory, maybe two generations back, depends on whether we're talking about the Soviets or the Chinese communists. This is what Marxism does. This is how it pulls a society apart from not just the inside out, but from the top down. The Marxists want to be in charge. They want no one to be in a position to stop them from doing these things. And you're, you're seeing how intensely uh, dishonest so much of the left-wing uh, approach to all this is. They won't tell you what's really going on. They won't tell you what their intentions are. They act incredibly offended when you, when you point out some of the inconsistencies. They just, go, they just go on attack all the time. I mean, we've reached a point now. If I had told you, just, just to pull up an example here, if I had told you that there would come a time when the mayor of the third largest city in America, Chicago, would say explicitly, I am only doing interviews with journalists of color. I am only doing interviews with black and brown journalists, period. People would have said, that's so, that's outrageous. That will never happen. Everybody understands that that's not fair. That's not right. That's divisive. Well, it actually just happened. And is the left upset by it? Do they have a problem with it? No, actually. They're like, oh, wow, she's pushing it a little further than we anticipate, a little faster. But, yeah, this is what we're heading toward, a society where this can be acceptable from those in power. Here's the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, horrible at her job, by the way, uh, Play 12.
3: Well, the the lawsuit is completely frivolous. Um, I'd use a more colorful term if we weren't on TV. But here's the thing. I'm the mayor of the third largest city in the country. I'm an African-American woman, to state the obvious. Every day when I look out across my podium, I don't see people who look like me, but more to the point, I don't see people who reflect the richness and diversity of the city. So yes, I started a long overdue conversation about diversity in newsrooms and coverage. You all are the mirrors on society. You reflect uh, with a critical and important lens, the news of the day. You hold public officials like me accountable. You must be diverse. It can't be that in a a city like Chicago, with all the talent that we have, that we can't find diverse journalists of color. Of course we can. What they need is opportunity. And I hope my conversation has pricked the consciousness of the people who do the hiring decisions in media rooms all across the city Uh and hopefully across the country. we got to do better.
0: Yeah, this is a long way of saying, Lori, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor here, saying that she discriminated on the basis of race, and she's fine with that. She discriminated against others on the basis of race, but because she discriminated in favor of black and brown journalists, she thinks that's okay. It's actually racism. That's what the definition of racism is. Telling some people no because of your skin color and other people yes because of their skin color. But this is how distorted our conversation around race in this country has become. And this is also why the left is so obsessed with it. They want to change the most foundational definitions and concepts around racism to suit their desire for power and control of society because if we have standards that we can apply to this that we can all we can all understand say hold on a second racism is racism is bad period racism is when you treat somebody differently because of their skin color period we can all look at that and say okay well those are those are universally applicable rules. You could call them principles. You could call them standards. But they don't want that. They like this. Well, racism is really first you have to take into account the hierarchies of power and the intersectional dynamics and, and historical uh, systemic oppression. And, you know, then you know then they, they create this whole Making it up as they go along nonsense, they go, so sometimes racism is actually okay as long as it's only against white people, Asian-Americans. I mean, you go down a list, you go, hold on a second. Really? Yeah. Why is it uh, that they can use these categorizations also and say all these things and contradict themselves and the media just goes along with it? Because people are terrified because people don't want to actually have this conversation. They don't want to get into it. They just want to avoid the problem the problem of speaking the truth. They want to just go along. I mean, could you can you imagine if we we play this game all the time? We say, what if the races were reversed or what if we had different? But what you see is just like I tell you about hypocrisy. The left doesn't they're not defending it anymore on the ground of principles. They're defending on the ground of emotional blackmail And pure power dynamics. And fear. You do what the left says. You agree with their nonsensical, contradictory, and I would argue immoral approach to race relations in America today. Uh, You either go along with it or you get crushed. You either go along with it or bad things happen to you. This is why. I keep saying be an be a counter-revolutionary. The left is trying a revolution in America today. They're trying to change this country at the most fundamental level. They're trying to erase or or distort or transform some of our our foundational concepts as a society. We must say no, we must explain why, and we must hold the line against this. That's what it means to be a counter-revolutionary against the left. And yes, against the Democrat Party.
4: But that just is the reality. Yesterday we had a vote. Very radical vote, Jake, is whether or not there should be equal pay for equal work in America, whether women should receive the same pay as men. Very, very radical, no doubt. We didn't get one Republican to vote for it. So we are where we are. The Republican Party has moved over the years to away from being what we call a center-right party, to rather a right-wing extremist party. There are some exceptions. There are some moderate Republicans, but they are few and far between. And I think given that reality, what we have got to do, the American people voted for a Democratic president, Democratic House, Democratic Senate. Our job now is to do what the American people want. Everything that I've told you, from child care to expanding Medicare to lowering the age of, med- of Medicare eligibility, these are popular ideas, raising the minimum wage, etc. It's what the American people want. Let's do it.
0: Just spend endless amounts of money. Don't question where the money's going to come from. The rich, the millionaires... And the billionaires will pay for it. That's right. America's favorite, favorite Marxist, Bernie Sanders. Oh, he's a democratic socialist. The guy's a Marxist. He's now getting back into the headlines. And I think this is yet another time where we have to take a step back and say, what the heck is this guy talking about? Not because he just says the same thing
4: over and over again,
0: but because... Uh, and it's like it never changes. This guy's a broken record. Um, the Republican Party is a right wing extremist party. I, I would just like to know, how is that true? You know, if you, I think he was talking to fake Tapper there, who's a smarmy little fraud. Maybe he can put out some tweets, but how much he supports the troops? I mean, fake Tapper's the worst. But, you know, it, oh, it's not about his brand. No, he's really, he really just cares. really just cares about the troops. Yeah. Um. Fake fake spent a lot of time serving his country, but anyway, uh, this is this is a situation where you say, well, no, let's just let's just take them at their word here for a second. How is the Republican Party a right wing extremist party? W- what are the right wing extreme things? If you ask me, how is the Democrat Party extreme? I'd say, well, spending more in say one administration than any you know, four or five administrations before it combined. I'm making up the numbers on that, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, you know, taking us to 30 trillion dollars in debt and wanting to throw another four or five trillion on top of that, because who cares? That's pretty just numerically extreme. Uh, having the biggest crisis of illegal entry at our border in 20 years and will end up being probably ever having a a million five, let's say, illegal immigrants come into America and then manage to stay by gaming the asylum system. That's extreme. I can actually point to things. Saying that there's no difference between men and women and that there's a psychological condition that can allow you to switch your gender and you are the other gender and must be treated as such, these would be considered, if you were to go through American history, these would all be extreme positions. These would be fringe. These would be way outside the mainstream. These are these are now Democrat positions. So in what way? I mean, even something like socialized medicine, entirely socialized medicine, which Bernie Sanders really wants. I mean, you can say he wants Medicare for all, but that's not good. It's not going to stop at Medicare for all, just like everything else they do. It'll be Medicare for all. And then it will be they want full on socialized medicine with the, the state paying and controlling the doctors and the hospitals. And so in what way is, is the conservative uh, Republican Party extreme? I mean, if anything, I think you'd say the Republican Party is still a little bit too wimpy on some stuff. If anything, you'd say the Republican Party keeps thinking that there's a creation of a neutral space in the public sphere and we're just all going to play nice with each other in it. And we don't want to use state power. We don't want to use government authority to promote the good. And suppress the bad we're just going to say well we'll let people make their own decisions in there about this thing without the government getting involved and the left just says no the government's going to dictate this this is what keeps happening happens all over our society they say that you know they say that in our in our state schools which is what public schools are uh, in our state-run schools they're going to teach critical race theory we say no 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 let's just you know let's just teach history that's not all politicized and everything else, and they go no, we 're going to teach critical race theory. We come back, and now people are realizing, okay, we actually have to ban critical race theory it 's not enough to try to create a neutral space. you have to actually create a sp- you have to actually take action within that sphere uh, but it 's just fascinating to hear something as as stupid as the Republican Party is a far right party in what way because we don 't want the. You know, because we want a thirty, uh, you know, five or thirty seven percent tax rate instead of thirty nine. I mean, if anything, you could look at the Republican Party and say it's kind of ineffectual. And what does it even really stand for other than just trying to stop the Democrats from being completely insane? But to say it's a far right party, where, how? It, wh- what is the policy issue? Oh, because because we don't want abortion all nine months of a pregnancy. We don't want state we don't want to force people's tax dollars to go to pay for abortion, which is a barbaric procedure that any person that sits and thinks honestly about it would say, oh, that's deeply immoral and wrong. But I know the brainwashing on this has been among the most complete of anything in our society for liberals. So where is the far right extreme here of the Republican Party? I mean, Bernie's Bernie look, he's Bernie's a Marxist. That's what he is. We know it. We can see it. There's plenty of this all across America now. This is what we're up against. The pandemic is almost over. And at least in this country, given the rates of infection and hospitalization, vaccination rates, people are feeling like they can finally go back to normal. <coughs> but that doesn't mean that we can let this go because there's a lot of accountability that must be uh, sought there must be answers to some major questions here our friend david marcus who is the uh, senior new york correspondent for the federalist.com joins us now he has a new book out charade the covid lies that crushed a nation mr marcus great to have you thanks for having me buck what are the biggest lies tell me about charade you and i've been discussing this for a year now you're in about a uh, half dozen or so folks that I've consistently been able to talk to about fauciism, lockdownerism, mask mania, and have been willing to speak the truth you've never bent the knee. i'm excited you've written this book let's let's dive into this. What are the lies?
5: Well, so every chapter um, covers a different myth or lie and, and there's about fourteen of them that I go in the book so go into in, in the book. so you know right off the bat, the very first one. Uh, is this idea that the Trump administration wasted the months of January and February. This just seems to be uh, gospel at this point. And it's, it's blatantly false. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to, to really prove that uh, pretty distinctively uh, in that first chapter of, of the book with documents from HHS. I mean, the fact of the matter is the Trump administration began work on a vaccine before China had reported one death. Uh, this is, this is really like in the, in the first two weeks of January. Uh, so, you know, that was a big one right off the bat. Another one was this idea that using the term Chinese virus, uh, was somehow racist. Not only was that a a lie, the only people who really benefited from that were the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so that was even worse than a lie. You know, we're all in this together, uh, was a lie. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is such a great competent leader, was a lie. Southern governors are engaged in human sacrifice by opening their states, was a lie. Trump doesn't deserve very much credit for Operation Warp Speed, was a lie. I mean, there's a there's a lot of lies, Buck.
0: And and yet, as we as we you know go forward here, and finally, I mean, I can tell everyone listening that New York City, I've I've started to see. You know, people are calming down in restaurants. If they tell you to put the mask on when you walk in, they're kind of embarrassed to tell you. I've had this a few times like, hey, would you? it's not how dare you breathe air like a normal human? Uh, You're killing my grandparents now. It's like, hey, look, the rules are stupid, but would you kind of so that that's to that's good. I mean, that's moving in the right direction. But I'm not I, I think I'm in the same category as you on this one. I won't speak for you. Well, you can tell us if you agree, but. I'm not letting this stuff go like I'm not I'm not allowing this to linger in the background so that the next time the state declares any kind of it's not just health emergencies, folks. They'll declare an emergency, whether it's on climate or gun violence or whatever. We're, we're all conditioned to just accept their stupid rules and their excesses. So we have to look back, David. I think it will. Were any of these things even worthwhile? Did this protect people?
5: i mean it's it's worse than that right i, I mean no I, look we know we can we can compare what happened in florida to what happened in new york and any honest person who compares those two very distinct approaches knows and will admit uh that florida had far better results than places like new york and and, and california that, that had these severe lockdowns um <clears throat> but i'll go a step further uh in the book i i uh, I have a conversation that I had with Joe Borelli, who's city Staten Island city councilman used to be a state assemblyman. Uh, and this was last summer, just a, just a couple months into this. And I said to him, I said, Joe, um, I'm curious, how's the state being governed these days? And he said to me, it's basically a Cuomo dictatorship. He said, the state legislature gave him these emergency powers. Uh, he can do whatever he wants. And I said, Joe, has this ever happened before? Uh, and Joe was like, I, you know, I don't think so. This was only a couple months in. Cuomo still has a bunch of these emergency powers. That is so dangerous in a democracy because the executive branch in, in our system of government doesn't do constituent services. It doesn't answer to the people. Legislators do that. So we had nowhere to turn. There was no one we could go to. Uh, It's a mess. And I think that's one of the really underreported aspects of what happened to the country over the last year. And you're absolutely right. I mean, they'll try this again for racism, for climate change, for, you know, for whatever it is. It's scary stuff. Look,
0: We're speaking to David Marcus. He's got a new book out, Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. And, David, I think that if we're talking about places that got crushed unnecessarily, uh, there are few where that is as clearly the case. Few areas. There, are, there are a bunch of things we could talk about, but there are a few where it was as ob- should have been as obvious as on. Not remember. It's not just school closures. It's been a whole series of decisions made in schools to turn them into these kind of viral uh, lockdown lab experiments. When even where schools were open somewhat. They had kids with plexiglass dividers around them, kids who were double masking in school, all this stuff. I mean, I I say this openly, people that double mask their children out on the playground when they're trying to run with friends. I mean, this is abuse. This is child abuse. I'm, I'm sorry that it's, you know, makes people upset to hear this, but it's abuse and it created psychological trauma for kids to be kept out of school for as long as they were. Because Fauci is a little bureaucrat coward who didn't want to upset the teachers' unions. Like we actually need to speak about these things.
5: Yeah, I mean, in general, what we've what we've put kids through, uh, you know, in order to to protect adults, uh, is a dark stain uh, on American society over the the past year. Because our job is to do exactly the opposite of that, and somehow. We just consistently threw children uh under the bus to protect adults from a disease that had you know a a tiny 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 fatality rate um it's 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 really bad um and you know if i hear one more person say oh kids are tougher than you think they are like that's not that's really not the point and, and this rewriting of history now. Remember, I think it was it was, it was last month. Um, Biden and Randy Weingarten of the uh, teachers union. They said we're going to start a crusade to to get kids back in school full time. Well, what do you talk? Uh, what What do you mean a crusade against against who? You're the ones who said this. Everybody else was saying get the kids back into school, and now they want to pretend. Like, that was never their position. Like, they've really wanted kids in school the whole time. Um, it's it, it's horrible. What, what's been done to children uh, over the past year, uh, we really need to take stock uh, of what we did because we can't do it again.
0: Speaking of David Marcus, he is the author of a new book, which you should all check out as soon as you can, Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll come back with you in just a second. All right, we're back now with David Marcus. He is the Federalist New York correspondent and the author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. I'm I'm really curious about this, David, because again, you're one of my, my New York City uh COVID lockdown skeptic folks, right? There's there were not a lot of us, especially in the early days. There were not a lot of us. I, I, I'm not going to start calling out conservatives now, but I know some people that are on the right who were very pro Fauci, really until about five minutes ago. I mean, certainly until this year. Um, but, so I, I appreciate what you've been doing all along here. I, I'm wondering, have you come across anybody who really changed their mind on this one from being a, a, a true believer in the brilliance of, of Governor Cuomo And Dr. Fauci and masks will save us all the way to the other side of, wow, this has all just been this has been a charade, as your book title indicates. Like, do you know, because I feel like people are they're so dug in to thinking that they were smart enough to know what was going on with this early on that they never want to admit, oh, I was among the I was among the swindled.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, there are still plenty of people out there who are so invested, who who put so much investment in all of this that I think they'll never, uh, listen to reason on, on this. Um, and I get it, you know, listen, if you spend a year basically locked in your own house, uh, it's not easy to admit that that was a mistake, but I do think along the way you've seen public opinion on this move really at a, at a couple of, of, of key junctures, right? Obviously, the first big one was the protests. Uh, the moment that tens of thousands of people started gathering masks or no masks uh, to protest racism, you know, everybody sort of said, OK, but why can't we have a Yankees game at half capacity with masks on that? Right. That that clearly made no sense. And for all the media's efforts to to try to say, well, racism's a public health crisis, too. A ton of people at that moment said, no, this isn't working. I think another one was last winter when Cuomo shut down indoor dining again here in New York and at the same time released the contact tracing stuff that said dining in general was only responsible for 1.4 percent of the spread of the virus. I think that was another moment where a lot of people said, what are you doing here? And yes, certainly over the past couple of weeks, as Fauci's emails have emerged, and as he has declared himself to literally be science, um, I think there are more people who are willing to uh, admit that, yeah, a lot lot of this was was a big mistake. So I am hopeful um, that opinion is moving on that. And it's important for the very reason that you said at the top, which was that we need not only accountability, but we need to make sure that that we don't follow this path, uh, you know, another time.
0: Yeah, I, I'm worried that first of all, I, I, I keep I'm talking about this as though we're done. I mean, I'm I'm going to be flying to Nashville next weekend, and I, I'm going to have to wear a mask, and I'm going to have people paid by the airline tell me, you know, when everyone does the. Uh, where, you know, they always say, like, don't crowd the aisle, or, you know, don't pull down. Everyone always just stands up and pulls down their bags right away. Yes. But they're going to be doing the whole make sure you social distance as you exit the plane thing. And they say this. And I, I see I think it is uh, debasing. I think it's humiliating to be forced by your by your job to say manifestly idiotic things and to enforce manifestly idiotic <laughs> rules. See, this has been a problem for me all along. And maybe it's just part of my mentality. It's maybe why I do what I do and why I didn't like working for the government all that much. And there's a whole bunch of things that come together here, David. But I'm not I'm not willing to just sort of say, okay, well, enough of it's gone. No, I want all of this gone and I'm not going to rest until people realize this was always stupid, folks. Like to being told that you had to put a mask on to go walk up to the, uh, the host at a restaurant. And then to take it off when you sit down or when you're on a plane, pull the mask down while you eat, pull it up while you're sitting there. This was always moronic. This was never OK. That's where I am.
5: Yeah. I, listen, my 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 10 year old knew that. Right. When they when 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 indoor dining opened up again last year, you know, I, I took my 10 year old to a restaurant. And as as we were leaving, we had to get up, obviously, to like walk out the door. And I said, you know you got to put your mask on now. And he goes, he says to me, right, you know, cause the coronavirus can't affect you if you're sitting down, right? He's 10, but I mean, he, like he knew that. Um, yeah, look, there's going to be outlier things like cruise ships and like airplanes and those, it's going to be hard to, to, to shake them from what they're doing. But, you know, I, I went to mass last weekend and I think technically, In my church, you're supposed to be wearing the mask. And again, I was with my son and we walked in and I saw about 20 or 25 percent of the people in the pews didn't have masks on. And I said to my son, take it off. I took mine off and nobody said anything right. There wasn't an official rule there. It's just that slowly, as more people sort of have the courage to say, no, I'm not going to wear this right now. Things start to move in the in the right direction. So, you know, knock on wood, man. You know, hopefully, hopefully that that keeps happening and, and happening more.
0: We're, we're speaking to David Marcus. You all should check out his book called "Charade: The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation." Speaking of the nation, David, I I feel like the land of the free, home of the brave. Thing, uh, we're we're not really that free, and we I, I will say. I thought that mass noncompliance against a lot of this stuff. This is where I was wrong. I thought after three months, people would be like, what are we doing? And after six months, there'd be a huge, you know, we're not doing this craziness anymore surge. And it actually took uh, about 15 months. So I I feel like if if I'm just being totally honest about, you know, assessing where I was on all this, I overestimated the desire for uh, individual freedom and rationality of not all of the American people, obviously, but solid majorities of the American people uh, by about two or three times.
5: Yeah, you know, I I, I will say this. I I, I think that, as in all things, um, the sort of Acela corridor elites are way, way, way overrepresented, uh, overrepresented in terms of what this actual experience was like, you know, I had the opportunity to, to travel a lot during this as I was writing the book. I was out in Vegas. I was in rural Pennsylvania. I, you know, I got to places that weren't DC or New York and, you know, you'll be happy to know that there was a lot less um, compliance there. It's funny. You know, I, I, first of all, you know, you read these articles now in the nation of the New York times of people who are like, Oh, I'm going to miss the lockdown. It was such a nice, quiet time. And you just want to, you know, tell them to shut up, right? Because, like, these aren't the people who lost their jobs and didn't know how they were going to feed their kids, first of all. But second of all, now you watch these, like, beer ads and stuff on TV, right? And they're acting like this is the first time anyone's gotten together to, like, have a drink together. And I don't know about you, but, like, I think, you know, most people... We were doing that months ago, right? Like all over the country, I was seeing this happening. So
0: there's yeah, I gave a speech in North Carolina last August with almost 300 people there. <laughs> so, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it, but it's very strange because you watch these ads and it's like, you know, oh, you finally get to see your family again. And it's like most people have been seeing their family at, at least for months now. Maybe they were getting a COVID test first. Like maybe they were taking precautions. Um, but yeah. I I think we've overblown to some extent the extent to which people really did isolate themselves. But you're absolutely right. There was a segment of the population that did that really aggressively. And that's exactly the segment of the population that gets paid attention to way, way, way too much um,
0: by our media. David Marcus, everybody. Charade is the book The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. Go pick up your copy. David, appreciate you, man. We'll have you on the big, big, big show soon.
5: Thanks, man. Have a good one.